following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Hello everyone, this is Pastor Alan Gilman from All Saints Lutheran Church with the message for December the 6th, 2020. This week we are finishing up our series in the Gospel of Mark, which I've entitled, as you know, The Remarkable Gospel, because it is that remarkable. And and to be honest, I'm going to miss uh, preaching through Mark. I'm looking forward to the other things that I'll be sharing with you in the weeks ahead, but this experience in the Gospel of Mark, for me, I hope also for you, has been very, very special, as I've encountered how God is calling us to not only read his word, study his word, listen to his word, but to pay attention in such a way that we're really hearing what he's saying. And and it's not always that obvious. So you have to pay very close attention. I, I brought this up when we're looking at Mark chapter 4, the section on the parables where Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Are you paying attention? Are you listening? It's not that he's trying to hide what he's saying from us and make it overly difficult. But at the same time, he's not making it so plain and obvious all the time. And that happens in a, in a, in a different way as this gospel ends. You may not be aware that there's some controversy about the last chapter of Mark. Now, the original wasn't in chapters. Uh, as far as we know, this was Peter's gospel. It was likely, as I've said, spoken orally to crowds. Uh, the more I've thought about it, I, I think it might have been to believers more than non-believers, but probably to both, because there's certain things in the gospel where believers are being confronted with certain things, and that happens again as we as we end Peter's version of the story, which Mark, a companion of Peter, eventually wrote down. And so in the way that this is written, we're, we're shown all these people who are reacting, reacting in all sorts of different ways. And there's some reactions again in, in this passage. But back to the controversy about, the cha- about chapter 16. And so you, in your Bible, you might see something similar to mine. I have an English Standard Version. That's the one I've been using as the, as the, the text that I have been teaching from. So just... Before verse 9, it says, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include 16, 9 through 20. And so, all, almost all English versions of, of the New Testament has a note like this. It might be down below in the, in the footnotes. It might be right in the text itself, like it is in, in my version here. All scholars are agreed that the earliest manuscripts don't have, well, just because they don't have, they don't have to agree about it. The earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark don't have these verses, 9, 9 through 20. And so there's uh, theories as to what happened. So what we have in, in many of our Bibles, 9 through 20, uh, this seems to be uh, added verses that were added some hundreds of years after Mark was written, and because they got into copies of the Bible, such as the Latin Vulgate, which was the common Bible of the Roman Catholic Church, and then that became the basis of of the King James Version, these verses were passed on, and they were assumed that they were part of the Gospel. But scholars know that 
the earliest manuscripts don't have 9 through 20. In fact, in some newer manuscripts, not the oldest ones, there are two other endings that many of you probably have never seen before, but um, some of your Bibles might actually uh, have them. And one of the reasons for, for these alternate endings is because it seems that uh, people were uncomfortable with the way Mark ends. So there are some scholars that they accept that verses 9 through 20 were not in the earliest manuscripts. And so all we have is till verse 8, but they assume there must be a lost ending. Well, one of the reasons to believe that there's a lost ending is if you think it is not ending properly, but we don't have any manuscript evidence to suggest that there was a lost ending. You, you don't know what's lost unless you had it and then lost it. So uh, nobody knows what that what that supposed lost ending was. So all we have is what we've got. And I think there's there's um there, the discomfortability that people feel about the way Mark ends in verse eight. That's the thing that makes them want to believe that there's got to be some other ending, and which is why endings were concocted, made up, and added to the Bible. But keeping with the way Mark writes his gospel, it seems to me that verse 8 is a great ending because it throws the message into the crowd of listeners. How will you respond to this message? The people who heard this likely already knew many things about Jesus, and they were hearing this this version of, of the story told by Peter originally, like I said. So they were aware of some of the basic facts, and then they were being confronted by this telling of the story. And I hope we're encouraged by how it speaks to us today. Before we get into the, the passage, and, and, I, and I read Mark 16, 1 through 8, uh, I just want to say if there's anybody that is interested in pursuing these technical matters uh, a little bit more, please let me know. And if there's enough interest, I could do a special talk on it. Or if there's just a couple of people, I could be in touch with you personally. And you can email me at pastor at allsaintslutheran.ca if you have any questions or concerns about this issue. But then one more thing before I, I read the passage. Um, one of the concerns ab about leaving out 9 through 20 is if there's a chance this really is supposed to be part of Mark's gospel, are we missing out on anything? Do we deny some truth of scripture? Well, the far... The, the vast majority of what's said in 9 through 20 is, is covered elsewhere. So you don't miss anything except there's something in one half of a verse, a couple of things that uh, you don't really find anywhere else. One bit a little uh, in a little way and, and, and the other not at all. And it's verse 18. It says uh, Jesus, they have Jesus speaking, whoever put this together, uh, where Jesus says they will pick up serpents as you go out to preach the gospel. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Now, we know the story at the end of, book of, of the book of Acts, where Paul is, is gathering some firewood, and a poisonous snake, a viper, latches onto him, and people think, oh, that's it, he's going to die, and he just shakes it off into the fire, and nothing happens to him. Uh, 
but to say that we can pick up snakes and they're not going to they're not going to harm us um, is well we know it's led to there's actually a movement in part of the United States with churches they're called snake handling churches I'm sorry if you've never heard this before but they've taken this verse and and they show that it's true by actually handling poisonous snakes and I don't know how you get from any part of the Bible to that kind of way of challenging God that way in the name of faith. And again, that's something we can talk about further. And it's the same thing with the drinking of deadly poison. The, the idea is that as we go in our service of the Lord, wherever we are, we can trust that God's going to protect us. But it's not saying that because we know the Lord, we could drink deadly substances and, and not care because God's going to protect us. But the, this half a verse does sort of suggest that that kind of thing. And so I don't think that's very helpful. And so I think there's good reason to dismiss uh, verses 9 through 20. And again, you can contact me if you have any concerns. So now let's read Mark 16, verses 1 through 8, and then I'll pray. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for your faithfulness in helping me week by week in preparing and and providing these messages. Lord, in this difficult time of, of COVID-19, we look to you that you continue to help us and our families in knowing how to navigate this confusing and difficult time. We thank you that your word is true and that your word is not constrained. Would you please unleash your word to us in my heart, through my mouth, and to all our hearts as we ponder these things. We look to you, Lord. Thank you that you have conquered death through the resurrection of your son. And may you show yourself mighty in our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go now to the beginning of chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 1. As we read, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And so, first of all, this is uh, Saturday night. So, the Sabbath in Jewish tradition, based on the scriptures, ends when the sun goes down. Actually, that's the beginning of the new day is when the sun goes down. That's I know that's strange for many of us, but uh, not for the Jewish world and not for the biblical world. And so, it's Saturday night, and so there'd be opportunity to buy things at at that time and so these women who were introduced to us at the they were there in the vicinity of the crucifixion so they want to go and it seems they want to complete what Joseph of Arimathea we looked at last time uh, he had prepared the body uh, but they wanted to 
possibly complete the the normal burial preparation. Now, I know it sounds a little strange to us that people would go and do anything with a body that's already been buried. But remember, they weren't buried in boxes in the ground as is common uh, for many of us. Not that you know what I mean. Um, but in 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 ancient Israel, uh, people would be buried in uh, in tombs that were uh, cut out of rock. So they would create a cave-like a structure uh, to to bury people. They would take the dead body and they would prepare it with spices and and things. And they would wrap it not quite like an Egyptian mummy, but it would be the body would wrap in cloth, and then the body would be placed on a shelf-like place inside the the tomb. And this is a rich man's tomb, and so it was large with several places for originally planned for Joseph and his family, there'd be various dead bodies in there. And actually what would happen, of course this didn't happen to Jesus because he rose on the third day, is after the body would decompose and all that would be left, all there would be left would be the bones of the dead person, people would go into the tomb and put the bones in a special box. And that's how the person, uh, person's body would be preserved. Again, that didn't happen with Jesus, of course. All right, so as I said, um, the burial preparation was rushed due to the beginning of the Sabbath when Jesus died, and so they were going to complete the process. Verse 2, and very early on the first day of the week, so dawn, and in that part of the world, uh, the sun would go up every day around what we now call 6 o'clock in the morning. So very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Verse 3, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for for us from the entrance of the tomb? And this is it's this is a little humorous actually. So here are these women, they they have this deep love and respect for Jesus. Uh, they probably do not think that he's going to be rising from the dead. Nobody really expected it, even though he talked about it so many times to his disciples. And remember, these women would have been some of them at least would be hanging out with the group of disciples. It wasn't just the twelve, and uh, they'd come down. With, with the crowds for Passover at, at, at uh, from Galilee in the north. And it's still the Passover week when all this is happening. And um, so there they are. They're so in, in, intent on doing this. They As soon as they can, they buy the spices. As soon as they can, they go to 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 do this very honorable thing to their, their master. And now they're saying to one another, but who's going to roll away the stone that we women, it's... it's we're not going to be able to do it. And they probably should have thought of that before. So I don't know what they're expecting, who's going to be there to help. But then they get there, and in verse 4, looking up, so they notice, that's what he's saying, and they got there and they noticed. Uh, it's possible that they were there with their heads down, being so sad and, and, and so on. And when they get there, they look up, and they see, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. Verse 5, and entering the tomb, which again sounds strange to us, but it was the kind of structure that people would go into. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And this word for alarm, uh, you know, gives us one kind of impression, but it's this this idea that we've seen all through the Gospel of Mark. They were amazed. They were astounded. They were overwhelmed. It might have been frightening, um, but it's just it's that kind of overwhelmness of emotion of what they're seeing. So they're there. It doesn't mention yet 
that there's no body, maybe it's because they didn't notice yet there'd be no body because, of course, they're thinking there's got to be a body there because that's dead, dead people don't get up and leave. Um, what caught their, catches their attention is this young man dressed in a white robe. And it's interesting in the commentary I read, there was just a lot about, about this. Like, why say a young man? Elsewhere, it says an angel. Clearly, he's a heavenly being. It would have been dark inside the tomb, but they could see that he's uh, in a white robe, and he's sitting there, and 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 he ends up talking to them. Um, and anyway, it was enough to, you know, again, were they freaked out? Were they awestruck? Don't know for sure, um, but they were overwhelmed with emotion. There's there's something about this in the way it says and. And they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were overwhelmed. There's something very, very kind of normal about this report, and it's it's the kind of thing that would come from somebody who was actually there. So, which of course they were, and they would have told the story to Peter, who then Mark heard Peter tell the story. That's how it works. Verse six, and he said to them, "Do not be alarmed." Don't you like that when people say that? But do not be. But at the same time, it's good to hear that, right? Do not be alarmed. You seek. Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? And this is a lot of these uh, very, very short statements by this young man who we would we know is a heavenly being. And he first tells them, basically, don't be overwhelmed with emotion. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And it's interesting that he calls him by that name because, that, again, it's very, that would be a very common way to refer to him. And that's important because one of the early ways uh, uh, believers kind of went astray is it wasn't so much that they started denying uh, his greatness, his godness, his divinity. They began to deny that he really was an actual human being. But in order to connect with God in the way that God wants us to, we need to understand that God the Son actually became a man and lived like a normal human being. The one who died on the cross died was a real man dying a real death and who experienced a real resurrection, the kind of resurrection that the Jewish people were expecting would happen one day. They didn't expect it would happen to one person, the Messiah, before the general resurrection later on in time. But so this Jesus who you're looking for, the one you know, the one you've been hanging out with for years, he's not here. And he, oh, and by the way, was crucified. Again, emphasizing this really happened. It wasn't fake. He didn't look like he was dead. He was really dead, but he is risen. He's not here. See? Look. <laughs> Again, it's pretty obvious, but he's 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 really running this home for them that there'd be no doubt that that they looked, they saw he was not there, and they're getting this message. And he continues, verse 7, But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Well, back in chapter 14, verses 27-28, Jesus foretold how the disciples were going to all fall away and they would scatter, but he tells them at that time that he will go ahead of them to Galilee and, and, and see them after he rises from the dead. At the time, right over their heads, they didn't get it. But the this the young man, the heavenly being, messenger, angel, is 
telling the women that he is going to meet with them in in the north, in Galilee, where many of them were from, just as he told them. Uh, there's actually quite a, a, a lot here in verse 7. Uh, first, we see that according uh, to the young man, I'm calling him that because that's how he's he's referred to here in Mark. Uh, the, the young man says, go tell his disciples. And so even though they all fell away, from God's perspective, there's still this group of disciples. And it's also telling us that they're going to understand themselves as that group still, and they could be found as that group. So even though they scattered, they're not completely disintegrated as a, as a movement, at least not yet, and they won't be, of course. So there's Tellus disciples and Peter. Peter is given special mention, and you know you can picture can you picture Peter telling the story, and quoting the young man saying that the women should go tell the disciples and Peter. Jesus had not forgotten Peter. Peter, who had claimed so much faith and loyalty to the Lord, denied him three times and it and it destroyed him. So he wept bitterly. Here, this heavenly messenger is is especially pointing out Peter as someone that they need to tell and then he says that that's where they're going to see jesus verse eight and they went out the women they went out and fled from the tomb i'm gonna i'm gonna start over because this is really important because as far as i can tell this is the end of mark's story of jesus And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, for a lot of Bible readers, their immediate reaction is, whoa, 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 that's not actually what happened, because then, according to John, uh, Mary sees Jesus, and according to Luke, there's this two on the same day that he rose from the dead, they encounter the the risen Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and then he meets with them momentarily, uh, and so on. You look at the various Gospels, you see the, the, the various appearances of Jesus, and it sounds like there's something wrong with this, would be another, which would be another reason why people feel, well, there must be more to the story. But I don't think that's necessary, given what I think is, is the point that Peter, through Mark, writing it down, is trying to make. Um, so first of all, they, at this point, hearing this, they fled from the tomb. They just they got out of there because they were completely overwhelmed by what they saw and what they heard. And and and, and you should be. You know, one of the reasons why we get anxious and nervous is because there's things happening around us that we don't expect, that we're not used to, or perhaps it reminds us of something that, that had hurt us in the past and our body begins to react. Well, no one had ever experienced this before. They are the first ones to encounter this. And... Everything is going crazy in, in their minds and their bodies. And so they, they, they get out of there. They're literally shaking and they're astonished. They're again, they're overwhelmed um, by what uh, what they uh, were experiencing. And, and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Now, again, we know that they did tell, but this seems to be emphasizing the immediate reaction that they didn't know what to do with what they had seen and heard, and they were too afraid to tell anybody the end. 
but not the end. We know it's not the end. As I just mentioned, here's Peter telling the story. The crowds know that they told. The crowds know that Jesus appeared. And here's Peter telling the story from from his perspective, and he's doing it in a particular way for some particular reasons. And we've talked about that through the weeks of me sharing this series, that when he talks about the fact, the true fact, that there were uh, there was a betrayer, Judas, that he himself had denied, there's a message going out. Are you a betrayer? Are you a denier? Are you... Are you those that um, that can't handle this message and, and, and you scatter when the pressure comes? Because in the Roman Empire at that time, it would be scary to believe in King Jesus. And it was true in the in the, in the Jewish world. It was true in the Roman world that the whether in the Jewish world where the the leaders of the of the, of, the, of the religious establishment were so keen on holding on to the status quo for a whole bunch of reasons that anyone who would be, have these these kinds of ideas and and they knew and we saw this they they knew that to for their fellow Jewish people to consider that King Messiah had come would disrupt the relationship of the people of Israel with the Roman oppressors and and. They wanted to make sure that these sorts of things didn't happen. So they wanted to control any kind of movement like this. And then the, the Romans, they saw Caesar as Lord. And here these these new believers were going all over the Roman Empire saying, Jesus is Lord, meaning Caesar is not. Those are those are dangerous things to say, and there was a lot of pushback. We know about all sorts of persecution. We, we see that in the book of Acts. We know that from history. And let's not think that all the early believers were all so heroic. They weren't. Jesus' own disciples weren't that heroic. I'm not that heroic. I would assume most of us watching this, we're not heroic. We, we get scared easy. Things happen and we actually don't want to stand. We love talking about people who have, but we miss that we all need to. We need to stand. We need to be brave. We need to not be intimidated. But tragically, we have denied him. Some of us have betrayed him. Maybe not in big, big ways, but how many times we believe that maybe we need, not maybe, we believe we had to take a stand, maybe at work, maybe with our family, maybe with our friends. And we didn't because we were too scared. Well, there is good news here. Of course, that good news starts with the fact that Jesus conquered death. Now, you think that would be enough. But just being aware that he did that, saying that we believe that he did that, doesn't seem to be enough because sometimes our fears get the better of us. So again, let's picture, here's Peter. He's just told the people that he denied the Lord three times and it was a horrible, terrible thing. And yet the Lord did not give up on him. The disciples all ran away. But the Lord did not give up on them. The risen Jesus knows what we're like. He knows our fears. 
And yet he doesn't give up on us. And so therefore, we mustn't give up on ourselves. We are often too quick to condemn ourselves when the Lord is saying, I understand. Get up. Let's go. Now there's a warning. When we have disobeyed the Lord, when we've denied him, when we've betrayed him, or all the many ways maybe we haven't lived up to how we believe God has called us to live, we can either be like the prodigal son from the Gospel of Luke, turn around and come home to God, the Father, or we could stay in our in our in that state of despondency, of discouragement. God is waiting for us to turn to him, to turn back to him. Now, it's not just a case of, oh, we've really blown it. And God says, that's okay. Everybody blows it and just leaves it at that. He's not only calling us to come back to him. He's calling us to come back to him receive his forgiveness, and then stand, and then speak. Now, we can't necessarily go back and redo the things we should have done in the past. Of course, there's people that we should forgive. There's, uh, uh, We need to ask forgiveness where it's appropriate. But we can't redo stuff that we failed, where we failed in the past. But we could start anew. And ask God, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to say today? How do you want me to stand for you today? How do you want the reality of the resurrection to be expressed in my life today? May God help us hear him, trust him, be restored to him, and do the things that he wants us to do. And so, just like they were given a mission, go and tell. And so we need to be prepared to go and tell as God leads. We all have a story to tell. Let's not keep it to ourselves. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you're, again, that your son conquered death that we actually don't have anything to fear, that we have every reason to be confident in you, no matter what we are facing, no matter what we will face. But Lord, you know that we've all failed you. Forgive us, Lord, and then help us to stand and trust you and do the things you're calling us to do, whatever that might be today and tomorrow and the next day. Please help us in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, everyone. Um, if you um, are interested in listening or watching any of this series, uh, you can go to allsaintslutheran.ca forward slash mark. That's allsaintslutheran.ca forward slash mark and that will take you to a special page that has the entire list of the messages in this series entitled the remarkable gospel the first several are audio only and then since springtime 
this past year, there's both audio and video. Again, I welcome your questions and your comments. Please email me at pastor at allsaintslutheran.ca. And so look forward to what I'll be sharing next time with you. Until then, God bless you and your families. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca. Thank you.